the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. God causes all things to work together for the good to those that know God, to those that are called according to His purpose. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's Core Truth. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 16, and I entitled this message, When Are We Eating? Boy, don't you like that? You're like, yeah, Pastor, as long as you get done soon, we'll be eating soon. But anyway, but I ask that question every single day to my wife. Hey, hon, when are we eating? I ask it in different ways. I can start off with, hey, hon, what time is dinner? And then, of course, you know, and, and then I'll go back to her again. Well, is it almost finished? You know, like, <laughs> like are we going to eat today? You know, <laughs> then I get a little more aggressive with my wife and I'm inquiring, you know, well, how much longer? You know, I have to eat soon. I'm starving. And like, Let's go. You know, granted, I'm not the most patient person when it comes to food. As you can see, I don't have a lot of reserves here, okay? You know, it's not like I have that, you know. When my tank is empty, let me tell you, it is empty, and I run out of energy. I'm like a machine, you know. uh, My energy level is directly connected to my food supply. So when the food intake is hindered, it is not a good thing for me. But today here, as we continue in the book of Exodus, the children of Israel, they didn't like missing a meal either. They didn't want to miss any meals. I don't think that any of us like to miss a meal. We're all pretty much the same. Although some of us are definitely worse than others, and I am at the top of the list of hungry whiners out there when I'm hungry. So what matters, you know, what matters is this. How do we act when we don't get to eat on time, because I can be a little grumpy, okay? Or how do we act, taking that same thought a little deeper, if something in our lives is not working out like we anticipated? It's how we react to hardship and difficulties is what matters the most. For we can all have great attitudes when everything's working out perfect, right? When everything's working out to our plans. It's easy to be a nice person to those people who are nice around us. But what did Jesus have to say about that subject of being nice to nice people? On the Sermon on the Mount, he said this in Matthew 5, 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Oh, you love the person who dotes over you. Okay, well, okay. There's no reward in heaven for that. Okay? It's like, you know, you were nice to the person who was nice to you on the street. There's no reward for that. It's not like, oh, gee, here, let me give you a brownie, you know, point here for that. Let me give you a trophy because you were nice to the people that were nice to you. The treasure in heaven is when you love those who are cruel to you. 
The treasure in heaven is when you're nice to those people who are not nice to you. When you go out of your way for someone who doesn't deserve it. That's where the treasure in heaven is. When you're loving that spouse when they're being a hairy beast. When you're loving your wife when she's being completely unreasonable. That's where the treasure in heaven is. It's not when he's sliding a glass slipper on your foot. It's when you don't deserve it. That's where the treasure in heaven is. Yes, it's like how we act when those things happen. Yes, dealing with difficult people, dealing with people that have bad attitudes, dealing with adverse circumstances that we didn't ask for. It's not easy to say the least when things happen that we don't like happening. Yet not only does our Lord call us to deal with great patience and love, those things, but he gives us the how-to along with his strength and his ability to deal with the hardships that we never asked for. And thank God for that, because in our own strength, we find being patient and kind, especially here living in Los Angeles, not always easy, at least it's not for me, that's for sure, And when things in life are not going our way, it's easy to start complaining. You know, to complain in the dictionary is defined as it's an expressing of displeasure. I wonder how much we complain. There are so many things in life to complain about, like the weather. It's too hot. It's too cold. And then like going to Disneyland, you know, it's like, I I just thought, well, what does it cost to go to Disneyland? I went on the website last night. So for one day to go to Disneyland, if you want to go on a Saturday, 164 bucks. See, they tease you with this thing like $104. So I clicked on $104. Well, when is that? Well, you get to go two years from now on a Tuesday, okay? (laughs) But if you want to go and you click on the date, it gives you a little calendar. You want to go Saturday, $164. Oh, you want to park? Oh, it's a $30 parking pass, okay. Oh, oh, did you want to eat in there? Oh, that's like $50 a meal, you know. I mean, you're going to drop a 1000 bucks if you have a couple kids going to Disneyland for a day, you know. But we're not going to complain because we're talking about patience today. <laughs> yes. But many just want to get away. But we can't. Why? Won't cost too much. So I'm complaining about that. Life can seem like a never ending rut at times. You know, we will, you know, we will even complain if we do get away. What do we complain about on vacation? It was too short. I have to come back already. Uh, you know, see, we even complain when it's that. We complain about our supervisor. We complain about a coworker. You know, those sandpaper people that rub you the wrong way. <laughs> yes. And we can even complain about what we don't have. I don't have a new car. I'm driving a junker. It's always giving me problems. It's like a money pit. My car, the money pit. But then the people that have a new car, they still complain. It's like the car payment's too high. Insurance is too high. You know, the cost of buying the tag every year is too high. So we just, there's so much to complain about. Yes, if we were to list everything that we complain about, it would be a pretty long list for some of us. Yes, many will complain from time to time. But one thing for sure, complaining seems to look worse on somebody else than it looks on us. Like when we complain, it's all right. But then we hear someone else like, hi, how you doing today? Well, my life sinks. It's like I got this wrong and that wrong. You're like, I'm sorry, I asked. <laughs> but we don't mind complaining ourselves, you know. In our study in Exodus, we left off with God's chosen people, the chosen people of God, the Israelites, complaining to Moses. Imagine that. 
that they were really thirsty. Not just any thirsty, they were really thirsty. They said, we want water and we want it now. So they grumbled, as it says in New American Standard, King James, they complained. And that's when they came upon the waters of Mara. Mara in the original Hebrew language means bitter. And that's exactly what they found. They found bitter water there. It was undrinkable. It was poisonous. Yes, you could say that the water matched their own attitudes because they themselves were bitter. God spoke to Moses and said, take a tree and cast it into the bitter water and I will make it sweet. And he did. And the water was sweet and they were able to drink. That tree was representative of the cross. It was a type of the cross. And by obedience, Moses did exactly what God commanded him to do. And he threw the tree in and the bitter water turned sweet. What a perfect picture and lesson that is to you and me. That when we add the cross to anyone who is bitter, If we add the cross to anyone who is broken through circumstances and things that happen in this life, if we take the cross and add it to all of our bitter, broken, hardship circumstances, God can turn all things around and make them sweet. Just like what we're told in Romans 8.28, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, some things are really hard that you go through and you think, there's nothing good that's going to come out of this. This loss, this hardship, this difficulty, there's nothing good. And granted, I understand there's some things in life that can be very difficult. But yet the good thing that comes out of it is not what happened, but what happens to you as you cling and trust in the Lord through that thing. And you find yourself in a place and position that you draw closer to the Lord in those most difficult moments. See, when everything's graded, everything's handed to you on a golden platter. Let me and my wife were talking this morning uh, in the kitchen, and we were just saying how, oh my goodness, it's like, you know, we're just so thankful for all that the Lord has done in our lives because we started with nothing. We were trying to remember between the both of us of all the things that our parents gave us when we first got married. And we, it was like two things, you know, <laughs> like uh, one was like a salad set or little tong thing. And like, they're nothing. And I remember when we got married, all the people that were getting married around us, you know, their parents were buying them dining room sets and living room furniture and all of this. And me and my wife were eating on a cardboard box turned upside down on the living room floor. And, and so there was nothing that was given to us, but but we had each other, and most importantly, we had the Lord, and, and the Lord had just continued to give us stuff, and we had so many ups and downs and sideways and difficulties and all of that, but you find that when you go through hardship and heart-straining moments, it's like that is when you're the closest to the Lord. That's where you can say, you know, everything we have is from God. But the person that just gets everything handed to them, they don't appreciate anything because it's just all handed to them. I don't know what would have happened in my life if I, if I wouldn't have gone through the hardships in life and difficulties and where no one else was there to give you a helping hand except for the Lord himself. 
Yes, God causes all things to work together for the good to those that know God, to those that are called according to his purpose. Yes, that's a great lesson for us all to remember. The people complained here in our text, yet God was so patient with them and he continued to provide for them. But you would think, wouldn't you, after seeing God deliver them from Egypt, after seeing the 10 plagues that God used to decimate the Egyptians that held his people captive, after seeing Pharaoh chasing them into the desert, desiring to kill every one of them in the desert, yet God intervened and opened up the Red Sea. Remember, God said he was leading them by a cloud and a fire at night, but then he went behind them and he put up a wall between Pharaoh and his army and the children of Israel as he opened up the Red Sea and God's people they crossed on dry ground and it wasn't until they got completely across that God lifted the barrier and here comes Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea that was being held up on both sides by the power of God and that's when God allowed after his people escaped the entire army to be destroyed all the army all of Pharaoh's generals all the horses and the chariots everything completely wiped out then God turned the bitter water sweet at Mara. So you think like, okay, they're seeing all of this. They saw the plagues. They saw God deliver, you know, him, uh, deliver them from uh, Pharaoh's army. They saw this tree being thrown into this poisonous water. Then it all of a sudden became the best water that you ever drank in your life. So it'd be safe to say that God's people are now ready to move forward and to trust the Lord. Like I'm not going to question the Lord about my life anymore because God has moved so much in my life that there's no way that we could question him. They're ready to move into the promised land, but not so fast. Why? Well, as we will see, the Israelites have a lot in common with you and me. A lot in common. And what is that? Well, they never seem to learn from the one mistake. They make mistakes, but they don't learn from it. Why do we have to fall to the same thing multiple times? Why does it take so long for for us to finally learn? See, that's why we go through pain many times. God's trying to teach you something. Do you want to keep having this pain? It's like, you know, you you get in some ungodly relationship if you're single. And you're just like, you're in this thing for like a year, year and a half, two years. And you feel like, this thing is toxic. This relationship's toxic. It's like, I can't get out of here. Then finally, you break off this relationship that you should have never had in the first place. You knew it was wrong. It was out of God's will. But you, you finally get out of it. And then what do you do? You jump into another toxic relationship. Like, how many times does this have to happen? You know, a married couple is like, I'm sick of you. Irreconcilable differences. I'm out of here. And you divorce. You completely rebel against God's word. You divorce. And then you go jump into another relationship, and it's worse than the one you had. It's like, it's double toxic. Maybe it's you. But anyway, just saying. <laughs> but all of these things happen. It's like, why? Why is that? Why do we have to fall multiple times because we're human and we're all born with a sin nature. We all seem to need to learn the same lesson over and over again until we finally get it. Well, with that as a backdrop, as we move forward here now in Exodus, as we read in our text, picking up in Exodus chapter 16, in verse one, it says, then they set out 
from Elam and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the sons of Israel, they grumbled or complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the sons of Israel said to them, would that we have died by the hand, by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. We we should have just died back in Egypt when we sat by the pods of meat that were full, when we ate bread till our stomachs were bloated. For you have brought us, Moses, you know, when we sat by the pot, uh, into the wilderness to kill us and the whole assembly with hunger. It's all your fault, Moses. Verse four, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Like every day, you just get enough for one day that I may test them. We're going to test them. Are they going to listen to me or are they going to be hoarders? Whether or not they will walk in my instruction. Verse five, on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it'll be twice as much as they gather daily because God didn't want them to gather on the Sabbath. So he's going to give them twice as much on one day. Verse six, so Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, at evening, you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord for he hears your grumblings against the Lord. Notice the grumblings. Wait a minute. We were grumbling to Moses. No, 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 no. Your grumbling is actually against the Lord. And what are we, Moses says, that you grumble against us? Moses said, this will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread in the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, your complainings, which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but they're against the Lord. Why did you let me move this God forsaken place, L.A.? What the, why am I have this job? It's like, I can't say, I hate my boss. I hate my coworkers. See, ultimately, you are complaining to the Lord. This beast of a husband of mine, ugh, he just irks me. This wife, she's so unreasonable. How did I get stuck with this woman? It's like, you're complaining to the Lord. You're complaining to him. Notice we're told in verse one that it's midway through the second month since they came out of Egypt. It's only been six weeks. So let's do the math here. Six weeks, a month and a half since God delivered them from slavery. And it's safe to say that the honeymoon is over. It's over. See, that's terminology that's been given to newly married couples, you know. That's when that newly married couple realizes more that it's not just a romantic thought marriage, okay? It's that time, it usually happens a month or two into the marriage, that, wow, this thing actually requires work. I have to actually work in this marriage. Listen to the top five hints that the honeymoon is over. Number one, the honeymoon is over when the in-laws become the outlaws. (laughs) Your parents are coming over again? They're the owl. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Number two, the honeymoon is over when I do changes to I won't. Number three, the honeymoon is over when your ideal has become an ordeal. Oh, oh marriage, I can't wait. It's perfect. It's an ordeal. It's a living hell, and I'm living in it. Number four, the honeymoon is over 
when he stays and talks to his co-workers instead of coming home. Well, honey, I was waiting for you. I made your dinner. And it's like, yeah, I was talking to Ralph. <laughs> you, you stayed and talked to Ralph and you didn't come home? Well, it's Ralph. He's my friend. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Number five, the honeymoon is really over when you text her to say, I'll be home late for dinner, and you realize she already texted you, your frozen microwavable is on the kitchen counter, throw it in the microwave. Oh, yes, that's when you know. Yes, every married couple finds out after they get married that the honeymoon will come to an end eventually. For when we first get married, it's great, isn't it? We get to play house with our new spouse. We can sleep until noon on Saturday. It's great. Everything's awesome. Nobody complains about anything. Everything is great. Then all of a sudden, little things start bothering us. All of a sudden, you know, we don't say anything at first. We just let them all slide by. But until that one day when we've had enough. We've had enough. Then out of nowhere, there's an explosion. That's when you know the honeymoon is over. Well, in the same way, the people of God have been six weeks out on the road, a month and a half, and they're not pulling any punches anymore with Moses. Verse 3 says, we should have just all died in Egypt. At least there we would have had plenty of food. When we died, we'd have a full stomach. Our pots were full and our bellies were stuffed. Isn't it amazing how many times when we remember back, we only have selective memory. Selective memory. It's like we have rose-colored glasses on, like somehow, you know, before I came to know Christ and all these trials and hardships hit me in my life, everything was perfect before I came to know Christ. You know, see, these people were saying, it wasn't that bad. You know, being back in Egypt, we were always scarfing down. You know, we all ate our hearts content. What are you people talking about? Did you already forget? It's only been a month and a half. Did you forget that you were all slaves? Did you forget about the beatings that you used to took? Did you that you used to take? Did you forget about all the forced work that you had? You know, you were owned by others. You didn't earn any money for all that you did. You couldn't come and go as you please. You had no rights. You had no property. And don't forget, you had no freedom. And for your entire lifetime, you prayed, you pleaded, you were saying and crying out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, oh God, just deliver us from this slavery. So how does God deal with this group of whining and totally unappreciative people? He tells Moses in verse 4, I'll rain bread down from heaven on them, for I want to test them to see if they're really going to walk in my instruction." Notice how Moses tells him twice in verse 7 and verse 8 that all their complaining is not against me. Moses is like, you, you people keep like acting like I'm the problem here. It's like your complaints, everything is against the Lord. Everything you complain, it's against the Lord. Then Moses clearly says to them in verse 8 that the Lord is listening to all that you're complaining about. This was a gentle reminder from Moses the man of God that God chose to personally communicate with, that people need to stop all the griping. Stop your murmuring. Stop your complaining. Why again? 
Because all you're criticizing in your constant, you know, moaning is not against another man. It's against the Lord. And he's listening to every single word of it. Yes, when we complain about our lives, we're really complaining about God that you messed up for me. This is what it really sounds like. I know that you're not thinking this when you're actually complaining. I don't think about this when I'm complaining, but this is what it's like. Hey, God, what in the world are you doing up there? My life stinks, and it's all your fault. I cannot stand my situation. And again, I just want to remind you, it's all your fault, God. Everything. We forget about all the bad decisions we make. We forget about how much we put ourselves in those positions. I think most people have said things like, God, why have you allowed me to go through this? Most people can relate with this thinking. But when we really understand what they're saying, it's all going back to the creator. As Moses points out, you know, it's probably better for us to pray more and cast all of our cares upon him than to complain. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Core Truth is sponsored by and is a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you've been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, all one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app and online at corechurchla.org. Or you can mail your support to P.O. Box 34. 34- 789 Los Angeles, California 90034 Three-star general Michael J. Flynn head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency knew all the government's dirty secrets He was one of the most respected generals in the military Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to He understood its funding He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors This set off alarm bells The explosive new documentary Flynn Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.